I'm sure you're familiar with the term unintended consequences. An unintended consequence is an, an outcome of a purposeful action that wasn't particularly foreseen in advance. It's not why we did what we did, but here's what happened. And sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not so good. I, maybe by way of an example, uh, I read recently a story uh, of, a, of a city in India that was overrun by cobras. Not a place I'd want to be anywhere near, if that were the truth. And so the government, in an attempt to mobilize the citizens to wipe out the cobras, issued a bounty for every dead cobra brought in. And so people started bringing in the dead cobras, and the government paid out for the dead cobras. And then um, some enterprising citizens realized there was money to be made by bringing in dead cobras. And so they began to raise cobras. And the government continued to pay for dead cobras to the place where they realized the population of cobras was not going down and that their plan really was failing. And so they cut out paying the bounty. And so all those people who are now farming cobras just let them go. And so the final result of the incentive to reduce the cobra population actually increased the cobra population. So that's an unintended consequence of, of a bad policy. Uh, perhaps another example, uh, we were told 15, 16 years ago that the advent of programs like Facebook would draw us all closer together. And the reality is we're more isolated than we've ever been. Social media only gives a veneer of relationship. And that veneer isn't even true because we only ever tell the best things about ourselves and we never put things in true perspective. And now we've seen each other on Facebook. We don't bother to connect off Facebook because ah, we know what we need to know. And so we end up more isolated than we ever were thinking that we're more connected than we were. What I'd like to talk to you today about are not unintended consequences of prayer, but what I believe are intended consequences of prayer. But here's the predicament I'm in. The scriptures, for the most part, don't talk about the reasons for praying. They just command us to pray. And they show us the example of praying. And they show us how prayer works generally. But they don't really explain the reasons. The authors just assumed, you know, if Jesus prayed, we'd pray. Right? And, and really, at some level, it's a, an accommodation to the age for me to even have to make the case of why it makes sense and it's good to pray, right? In a, in a former age, all I would really have to say is God tells us that we should pray and we would all pray, right? But it seems like this generation needs to be shown that it's good, that it makes sense, that it, it's helpful, that there's reasons to do it. And so in summary, and this is a summary presentation today, uh, I want to talk about the consequences of praying that I believe were intended consequences of praying. Now, everything I'm going to say today is underscored and rooted in what the scriptures teach. You'll hear lots of scripture in the sermon 
These things are also that, uh, things that are in common uh, in the writings of those great prayer warriors of the Christian faith. This is conventional wisdom regarding prayer, verified by the experience of the saints. In our day, and we've talked about this at length lately, our, our way of life has been disrupted. We don't have the ability to encourage one another in the ways we once did. It's harder for us to support one another. It's harder for us to connect with one another. But if we're really candid about the situation we're in, we have to admit that even though COVID has disrupted our cohesiveness, our cohesiveness was disrupted by our busyness long before COVID ever came along. We weren't particularly cohesive. I hear again and again from folks who visit the congregation that we are a very friendly and welcoming congregation. But for the most part, it can be difficult to find deep friendships here. Many of us have enough family around to satisfy our needs for friendship. Others of us are more introverted and shy and just find it difficult to make friends. And while it's important for us to be a welcoming and friendly congregation, it is more important for us to be a cohesive congregation built around a set of principles, organizing principles that help us stay united together. And that foundation is the foundation of prayer and the consequences that come from being a praying church together. A well-knit, supported, interactive community requires a foundation of prayer. In Acts 2.42, we have that very familiar verse that describes uh, what the early church did, what their practice was in at least some of these areas. This is Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The article, the, is in the original. The prayers were remembered. They were the habit of the early church. Well, what are the prayers? You probably know that the early church was primarily Jewish, especially on the day that Acts is being uh, related to us. And so the prayers were the standard prayers of faithful Jews. And that meant three times a day praying. There was morning prayer at sunrise, there was afternoon prayer at the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple. And then there was evening prayer at nightfall. These three periods of prayer were the daily habit of all Jews. Some of you thought I was asking a lot to ask you to pray morning and night. I was like only two-thirds of the way there. Praying together, along with being in temple together, eating together, studying and talking about God together, this is a description of the cohesiveness of the early church. This is what they did. And the prayers were a corporate structure around which they built their lives. And it, it moves me to ask this question, what is the organizing principle of your life? 
When you're putting in the big rocks into the jar first, what is it that gets done each day, even if nothing else gets accomplished? As I thought about that question this week, it occurred to me what one of the major uh, organizing principles of my life is, and that is my morning pills, right? I have a little organizer every morning. I take the pills one time, only one time in the last two months that I forget to take my morning pills. I was surprised that it had happened. I tried to think back on that day. Why did it happen? I, mean, I have this one-month pill organizer, and there's this one day right here that has pills in it. Well, all the rest are empty, and I'm thinking, what on earth happened on that day that I missed my six morning pills? Think about it. This habit is so ingrained in my way of life that I'm shocked when it doesn't happen according to plan. And I'm wondering, do we think the same way about prayer? Are we so committed to communication with the Heavenly Father that we would be shocked to discover, oh, I, I didn't pray on Monday morning of this week. Would we try to think back to that morning to try to figure out how it was that we were so distracted that we forgot to pray? If I'm candid, I'm probably more regular about my morning pills than I am about my morning praying. Now, I'll grant you, it only takes me 30 seconds to take my morning pills. And it could take me about 30 minutes to pray. And so it's easier to get distracted by an emergency phone call or something that comes up. It's easier to be distracted from prayers from a purely time perspective. But if prayer is an organizing principle of my life, it should be so routine that I just can't imagine missing it. Let me talk about what I believe are the expected consequences of having prayer be that fundamental in our lives. The consequences of praying together are reflected in the guidelines for Christian living that are explained in Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. This is what we're growing toward. And the activities that help produce these qualities for us are important. And prayer is foundational to this. We will never reach these kinds of activities without a consistent, a continuing encounter with the Holy Spirit daily in our lives. This is what uh, Romans 12, 9 says. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. And then it goes on for several verses. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Live peaceably with all. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. This is who we are to be as citizens of the kingdom of God. And if we're going to achieve these particular kinds of 
characteristics, it will be because we persevere in prayer. Praying together, corporate prayer, does some other significant things for us. Corporate prayer creates fellowship and forges a community. In prayer, we learn to live in harmony with one another. The act of praying together binds us together. It keeps us from being isolated from one another. You know, a favorite passage of all preachers is always, uh, do not give meeting together, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, right? We all want us all to be together because we learn from each other, we support one another, we encourage one another, and it's the togetherness that helps us be the kind of citizens of the kingdom that God desires us to be. Here's one of my fears in COVID times is, you know, habits are developed by repetition, right? And I'm so frightened that many folks are developing a habit of isolation, learning how to live in isolation, becoming more comfortable in isolation. And I'm fearful that we've developed a habit of isolation. If we have, we need to stop that as soon as we can. Now, I'm not saying don't be safe. I'm not saying, you know, ignore the wisdom that God has given us to protect ourselves from illness. But I'm saying we have the ability to surmount anything COVID throws of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can find creative ways to connect, even if we can't be physically in the same room. Because isolation, it starts with just not being in the same room, but it goes further and further and steps back and back and back until we end up lonely, isolated, and easy prey for our enemy. It's frightening, the development of a habit of isolation, and we must pray against that. Another intended consequence of praying together is the unity that comes when we pray. Corporate prayer helps us to articulate and emphasize our common values and anchors common kingdom values in our lives. We learn about humility. We learn about submission. We learn about suffering when we pray together. Prayer is like anti-Facebook, right? Anti-Facebook. Um, Facebook is everything that's amazing in my life. Prayer is, I am helpless before God, and I need the grace of God if I'm going to be useful and purposeful and of any use to the King of Kings. And so I have to be myself when I'm praying if I'm going to honestly let the Spirit know what I need. And so it's important that that kind of, that unity of humility and meekness I mean, when, when are we strong? When we're weak before the Lord, right? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so there needs to be a unity of that approach to the power of God in our lives because there's nothing good in us of ourselves. It's the power of the Spirit in us that makes a difference in our world. And that unity begins when we pray together. This is what Ephesians 4 says. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
do you get the idea that um, if we're going to be called to bear with one another, that there's going to be from time to time some measure of discomfort at being together? I mean, there's going to be some people in the congregation that just sort of rub you the wrong way or you think have the gift of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And you say, well, I'd like to avoid that as much as possible. But the reality is the church is a rescue station for people. And that means in the process of bringing folks in, some of those folks will not be as far along as you are. And the Holy Spirit will accomplish his work in you as you learn to bear with one another. And, and that's, so like our, that's so unlike our culture right now. Our culture runs away as fast as it can from anything that's uncomfortable. Any measure of discomfort, what do we say? We vote with our feet. We run away. We never work things through. We never, we never contend with one another. We're never honest with one another. And the Spirit wants to rub the rough edges off of you and me by helping us to bear with one another. And that happens through prayer, through praying together, through the unity and cohesiveness that we have when we are together when we understand our responsibilities to one another, when we work through things together, when we pray about the problems that we have. And I believe the consequence that comes from that then is an increased sense of peace. I mean, we, we increase our general feelings of peace when we pray together. Having other people around to speak to our panic to offer resources in tough times, to extend the grace of God to us, that is all deeply stabilizing for us. So even as we have to contend with difficult things and even as we have to bear with one another, this is the avenue towards peace for us. This is Philippians 4.6. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, so peace comes to us through praying. It's an intended consequence of the, our, our praying activity together. I think that you know, this idea of praying together, which fosters a movement in the same direction together with common goals and, and common procedures, uh, I think there are so many intended consequences for this that it's hard to articulate them all. Uh, but we should observe that the major goal of all of this is that as we pray together, we want to glorify God together. We have a goal of living as salt and light in this community, in this day, in this present age. And our, our common commitments to integrity and honesty and justice and compassion, all of these things are sharpened as we pray together. We achieve our goals through praying together. There are some other intended consequences. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 that, well, I'll read it to you. This is 2 Corinthians 1, 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation which we ourselves are consoled by God. We share burdens in prayer when we pray together. We experience the pain of others when we pray together. And the Holy Spirit enables us to minister to one another when we pray together. Needs become known when we pray together. And, and there's a sharing of comfort that happens in prayer. It's a significant thing when you make a prayer request and you hear someone else praying for you. That, that matters. That not only gives you confidence that we have opened the doors of heaven for the blessing of the Father in a situation, but that there are other people who are remembering to pray for me as well. And that I'm not in this situation alone that I don't have to face this by myself, that I have brothers and sisters who care for me and if possible will help me through this particular situation. I think you understand that. I mean, we have, uh, you've been in a situation perhaps, or you know a friend has, who was facing some kind of surgery and the doctor said, well, it's gonna be like this, 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 or this. And you said, okay, okay. Because we believe about 40% of what the doctors tell us when they tell us what the surgery is going to be like. Ever since the nurse said, it's just going to be a little pinch before they drew your blood, right? She didn't have her blood drawn today, obviously. But if you are then talking to your neighbor and you say, well, I'm going to have to have, you know, my meniscus repaired in my knee, and the neighbor says, oh, you know, I had that exact surgery a year ago. And then they tell you everything they experienced. And then you have another person who says, you know, I had that exact surgery. It went like this for me. You take great comfort in that knowledge because now there's a layman, a person who's not a medical profession, telling you exactly what they experienced and you know yours is going to be like that. And that's, that's believable stuff. And when we pray together to the father that we know and we have the promise of his word that he hears us and will respond. And then we have the experience of the community of faith around us that says, you know, you'll get through this. We'll stand with you. We will pray with you for this. That's more than anything we know otherwise. It's, it's significant to have that kind of prayer support and encouragement around us when we pray. When we pray together, we believe that the Holy Spirit will reveal his will to us. Receiving the guidance of the Holy Spirit, again, isn't a vending machine thing where we can put in 20 seconds of prayer and get out so much guidance. It doesn't work like that. But if prayer is the foundational organizing principle of our lives, if we are daily opening ourselves to the Spirit so that he might reveal Christ to us, then we can have confidence that the guidance we need will come as we need it. So when we pray together, we have this, this confidence that what we're all hearing together from the Spirit is right, and we should move forward with it. This is the first part of the Romans 12 passage I read previously. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So by transformation of the spirit in us, we get confirmation of the perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God in our lives. You know, humanly, we have different preferences. What should we do next? Different temperaments, different passions. I really care about this thing. Should we as a congregation split up into three groups and do three things? Should we do two things? Should we band together and do one thing? What are we hearing from the Spirit? And, and when we minister, we don't all just go all in the same direction. We have different expressions of ministry, some in the church, some in the community. Uh, but we can learn together what we need to accomplish as the Spirit speaks to us when we're praying. And then once we know that, we can bear one another's burdens in the labors of the various ministries that we take on. And we need that support. I mean, not every ministry is done in a group fashion. Some are volunteering in this area, some are volunteering in that area, and, and they're difficult areas. And so we need the support and encouragement of other members of the body of Christ if we're going to be faithfully following the will of the Spirit for our lives. I guess the last thing I would mention is that uh, at a very fundamental level, um, we need the encouragement of the body of Christ in order to persevere. John Wesley talked about this a great deal, talking about the fact that we're not really designed to walk this road to heaven by ourselves, but to go in twos and threes and groups together, because that's the way we've been designed. And uh, this is what Paul writes in Colossians 2.2. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love, so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. I love this passage of scripture because it speaks to our great need for encouragement, but then it gives a reason for our need for encouragement that I didn't think of before, right? We all want to be encouraged. We, we, we like the feeling of having folks around us helping to move us forward and, and to support us in the faith and all those things are good. But the final phrase here is we need encouragement so that we're not deceived. I mean, there are going to be plausible arguments all around us. And plausible arguments really, for the most part, are things that someone's saying that make sense to us in part because they appeal to what we want to do in our own flesh. That's a plausible argument. Yeah, I sort of wanted to do that anyway, so it's, it's good there's some expert somewhere I can find who's saying that I should do this thing that makes sense. When in reality... The collective wisdom of the body of Christ, the encouragement of the body of Christ, keeps us moving towards heaven in the same direction. And it's fundamentally important for us. In summary, let me say this. Prayer is given and ordained for the purposes of glorifying God. When we ask, when we petition God for things that will bring him glory and enable us to complete the tasks he has given us, we can be sure he will hear and answer our prayers. Uh, 
Prayer is the appointed way of giving Jesus an opportunity to exercise his miraculous supernatural powers of salvation and enablement and response of healing, of guidance. This is how he's invited us to interact with him. Prayer is opening the doors of heaven. And we have an invitation to walk into the very throne room of God with confidence. An invitation initiated by the one who's sitting on the throne himself. And so we're confident. Dr. Housby wrote an interesting comment about prayer that has caught my attention this week. If we will make use of prayer not to wrest from God advantages for ourselves or our dear ones, or to escape from tribulations and difficulties, but to call down on ourselves and others those things which will glorify the name of God, then we shall see the strongest and boldest promises of the Bible about prayer fulfilled in our weak little prayer life. Something, there's something about praying that God will enable us to serve him that is deeply rooting for us. And I love, I love his observation. We need the spirit to be given a chance every day to reveal Christ to us. We know that the spirit desires us to seek him every day. But this conversation should be twofold. As we reveal our need, the Spirit reveals Jesus to us. The Spirit will teach us the necessity of self-denial. Christian work has always been cross-carrying work, and we're always going to be bearers of the kingdom of God by His, divine, by His design. This is the work of transformational grace in our lives. And while we all love to see the fruit of our labors, we have to all admit in humility that we don't exactly know who's responsible for the answers to prayer we've received other than the fact that they come from the Father. Right? Some of us, some of us from time to time tend to get a little prideful in our praying and we say things like, you know, I prayed for this and I got this. Well, it's not so straight a line because it may just have been that she was praying for this too and God answered her prayers, right? The minute I start taking credit for the work of God, I've missed the humility piece in all of this. Because remember, the work of prayer is to glorify him, not me. And so we can't afford to let our corporate prayer ever devolve to, well, we prayed for this and we accomplished this. It was never our accomplishment. It was always his accomplishment. It was always his work. And we can't figure out the ways of God. His ways are higher than ours. And we don't know whose prayer it was that was responsible for the gracious activity of God, but we know it was part of the character of God. And we respond in unity together, trusting that he will answer our prayers. One of my greatest desires is that we will develop in this place a culture of prayer. Uh, that the foundation of corporate prayer would be rebuilt, that prayer would be rebuilt into our lives and we would develop a culture of praying. And when I, when I say a culture of praying, I'm saying that when, when we're talking, 
when we're interacting and someone expresses a need, it will be our first response to join together and pray about it. When I was uh, working at the camp in New Hampshire, uh, I traveled uh, to churches across the district preaching. And, um, you know, churches all have their own character. They're, they're different. They do different things, different settings, all that sort of stuff. But there was one church that especially impressed me. I only ever really saw this in one place that I observed it. And that was as soon as the service was over, people were in small groups around the congregation. They were talking like everybody does, right? And I was the visitor, so I was just sort of making my way around the congregation and greeting people. But I was listening to the various conversations that were going on. And invariably, in that congregation, people were talking about the work of the kingdom they were going to be doing in the week ahead, and they were praying together. And this wasn't the kind of thing where the pastor had said, okay, break up now into small groups of four and five and pray for this. No, there wasn't any invitation like that. I know there wasn't because I was the preacher and I didn't say any of that stuff. And so they just naturally gravitated toward this conversation of the work of the kingdom and of praying together. And when the need was raised, they would just pray. And I thought, you know, that pastor had trained these people really well. They had a culture of taking things immediately to the Lord in prayer when there was a need that was raised. But we're just a little too embarrassed to do that, aren't we? You know, I will grant you in that church, I did hear a few conversations about the Red Sox. And that's fine. But the preponderance of the conversations were kingdom of God conversations. And there wasn't any embarrassment between congregational members to say, oh, that's a hard thing. May I pray with you about that? It's, it's that, that first response in prayer that reveals a culture of praying. What would it take for us to say, you know, when, when needs are articulated among us, could our first response be praying? Could, could I presume on you to pray for you? Why are we afraid of that? Are we afraid someone will say to us, well, yeah, I don't think your prayers would amount to much. I mean, we would never say that, right? We would gladly receive the prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should assume that our brothers and sisters in Christ will gladly receive our prayers and trust that that's exactly what God wants us to do. You know, at the beginning of this series, I, in my mind, I was really ruminating on that phrase when the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. But I think in closing, I would add a second piece to that. I would say we should be praying all the time. Lord, teach us to pray and help us to pray. Teach us and help us so that we can truly glorify your name on the earth. Father, may your name be glorified through me here where I live, in my relationships, in my circumstances, in the work you give me to do. That's the house of prayer that I would like to see us build. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, teach us to pray and help us to pray. We desire to glorify you in every area of our lives. 
and we recognize we will not be able to do this without the daily encouragement and enablement of your spirit. May prayer become the organizing principle of our lives as we seek a deep connection with you moment by moment. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. May the peace of God guide your hearts through Christ Jesus. And may you live to glorify him now and always. Amen.